Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's so great to have you here, whether you're in the room or at home, online, uh, watching. Uh, just grateful that we get to jump into this third part of the series we're doing called Me, Myself, and Why. And if you haven't heard the first two parts, I would encourage you to go listen online or on the app. Uh, we've spoken about some really important foundational ideas as we discuss ourselves, <laughs> who we are, why we are, the way we are. Um, and the reason we're doing this series is because, um, I don't know if you've noticed, um, I guess is most of us have have, that there's been an explosion in self-awareness. There's been an explosion in all these self-assessment tests, uh, Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram or the color temperaments. Um, in the last few years, last few decades, there's been so much study and so many ideas and thoughts that have gone into this. So we thought, let's take some time to see if Christianity has anything to say about this stuff, to see if the Bible has any advice, any uh, insight into how we can live out all this stuff, because there's so much information out there. You know, as you're assimilate all that stuff, how do we assimilate that and how do we allow ourselves to discover me, myself, and why and navigate all that as best we can? So that's what we've been doing. And again, go listen in. We've said some important things so far. Today, though, um, <laughs> I want to try and explain or try and discuss or present something that I think is really, really hard to explain. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because this goes against everything we are as humans, this idea. So Welcome to my job. Um, I'll try my best. We'll see what happens. I want to try and explain this thing. It goes to Eric, it's, it's very unintuitive. It goes against everything we try to do to protect ourselves, try to do to uh, prove ourselves, try to do to do whatever we're doing in our lives. It goes against all of that. And it also, um, it, it brings the reality of God right into the middle of this discussion about me, myself, and why. So if you're at the place where you're still not too sure about the whole God thing, you're, you're sort of checking it out, and we love that you're here. I mean, if you're still checking it out and you're not too sure, you know, does God really exist? I think maybe, but I'm not 100% sure. If you're there, we love that you're here. We love that you're listening in, but, because this idea that we're looking at today brings God right into the middle, you may struggle with this concept, with this idea, but, but here's the thing. If God really does exist, if he really is God, then this idea makes so much sense. And Christianity actually presents this idea kind of like the linchpin in, in discovering and being the best version of myself. It presents this as one of the most important factors in me discovering me, myself, and how to navigate all that stuff. Also, just to say right off the bat, not only is this hard to talk about, explain, it's also really hard to do. <laughs> so I just wanna give you all the warnings before we jump into it, okay? So you're ready and expecting what I'm gonna be talking about. It's really hard to do as well, but again, again, if we can get there, it literally has the ability to change everything in our relationships, in our lives, in our faith, in discovering ourselves, in, 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 in a relationship with God and how to relate with other people. Literally, if we can get this, if we can live and lean toward this, it changes everything. So 
Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, one more interesting point before we dive into this idea is that as I've been studying, you know, in preparation for the series, I've been studying a lot of not just biblical or Christian ideas around me, myself, and why, but I've also been studying some secular, you know, non-church books, non-Christian books about what, how, how do we navigate personalities and temperaments and, and differences and giftings. And so as I've been studying that, I've been fascinated to find that this idea that we're looking at today is also represented in these secular ideas. It's also represented in this. And so sort of as an introduction, I wanna read something from the most profound book I've read about the Enneagram that, that sort of points us in this direction. And then I wanna see what scripture has to say about it. Here's what this book says. I'm not a Christian book. It says this. All of us are looking for answers to some of life's most difficult problems. All of us are. We may well express it in different ways, but at some common human level, we are all seeking a way to lead richer, more fulfilling, and graceful lives, and to help others do the same. And the book says this, kind of saying, this is how we start to get there. It says this, self-understanding is the prelude to transformation. We wanna find that transformation. We wanna grow, we wanna become what we're meant to be. And self-understanding is the prelude to that. To, it's, it's a prelude to transformation, to, and yet it starts to hint at this answer. It's to moving beyond the ego, moving beyond me, myself, and I, and all that makes up what is, uh, uh, what is called the false personality. Here's what he says. Transcending the ego is the gate. Getting beyond me, getting beyond my way, is the gate to every spiritual path. And the Enneagram shows each type and therefore each of us as individuals what that gate is and how to pass through it. So that's just sort of an introduction to where we're going, that transcending the ego idea. And next week, we're gonna dive into a little more individualized stuff and look at what that gate might look like for each of us as different personality types and all that. But today, what I wanna do is I wanna look at what does Christianity present as that gate, as that linchpin, as that doorway into becoming who we wanna be and who God may want us to be as well. And we find this gate, this linchpin, in another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some people Christians living in Rome, and in this letter, uh, it's also in the context of different personalities, different giftings, and all that stuff, so it's right in the context of that, and it's in that context, talking about, we're all different, we've got all these giftings, and all these different temperaments and stuff, in that context, Paul gives us the gate, the linchpin, the way through to discover who we're meant to. To be. So let's jump into Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Um, we're going to set the stage with this, showing that it's in the context of different temperaments and personalities and motivations. And then we're going to look at how do we get to where we need to be, because Paul makes it very, very clear. Again, hard, but very, very clear. Romans 12, verse 6 sets the stage. He says this, um, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. He's giving all these potential different motivations and giftings. If it, is, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And, and, and if you take these, if you study these seven, what some people have called motivational gifts, you'll see that they line up with a lot of what these personality assessments are saying we are, you know, the different styles and temperaments and all that stuff. It lines up with that. Um, so this passage is clearly in the conversation of me, myself, 
and why. But I wanna jump back, okay, so this is starting at verse six. I wanna jump back to verse three, because in verse three, Paul gives us some really important advice. And this advice is so big for relationships, so big for navigating my own temperament, what I think about myself, how I relate to you as a different kind of person. It's so huge, this instruction, this advice that Paul gives us in the context of us being different. In verse three, he says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Yeah, we're all different, we've got different giftings, we've got different stuff, but here's the thing, here's the foundation. You wanna navigate this well? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think that you and your way of seeing it is the best and only way of seeing it. Don't think that the way that you uh, deal with things, the way that you approach things, the way that you understand things is the best and only way to do things. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then in case we missed it, I wanna jump to a verse just after the list. So in verse three, he gives us that, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Just after the list of different giftings, he says this in verse 10, the end of verse 10, he says, honor one another above yourselves. So he's saying, not only do I not want you to think of yourself too highly, I also want you to think of others more highly than yourself. Now, (laughs) here's the deal. We struggle with that, (laughs) don't we? I know I do. (laughs) I think of myself well. I think that the way I think about things and the way I do things is pretty cool. I really do. If I didn't, I would change it. And my guess is you do too. The way you see things, the way you approach things, the way you do relationships, the way you handle conflict, the way you navigate things, how extroverted you are, how introverted you are, how you navigate relationships, you think it's the best way to do it. And so do I, we all do, we all think that. We think of ourselves and our perspectives and our ways as the best. And, and, and I think all of us, we struggle to honor others above ourselves. It's just a part of who we are. I think the reason we struggle with that is a simple answer, because we're human. We're human, and as human beings, there is a sense that every single one of us are self-centered. Now, this is not an accusation. This is just a reality. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not saying anybody, you're you know, judgmental or accusing. We as human beings are just self-centered. Let me see if I can explain this. Not only do I see life only through my eyes, I've said this before, and therefore whatever I see, I see it according to my perspective. Not only do I hear things through my ears and not through how you hear it and not through how anyone else hears it, I hear it through my ears and I feel life through my my emotions. I think about it through my hopes, my dreams, my perspective, my desires, and my mind. Therefore, my entire perspective of life is revolving around who? Me. Your entire perspective of life, how your marriage is going, how your job's going, how finances look, how your future looks, how religion looks, all of that revolves around who? You. 
So in a, in, in a definition, maybe, you are, and again, not an accusation, just a reality, self-centered. If I can paint a picture, it's like you're in the middle, I'm in the middle, and my job, and my wife, and my marriage, my kids, my friendships, my, my, my future, my faith, my team, everything is about how it impacts me and what I want from it, what I get from it, and if it makes me comfortable, everything in my life is revolving around me. And so I want my relationships to make who happy? <laughs> me. I want my relationships to make me better. And yes, I will work on it and love the other person, but a big part of it is I want it to be good for me. When I'm married, I want my marriage to make me happy. Otherwise, I struggle. I want my job to be fulfilling and purposeful for who? For me. <laughs> I want my kids to behave and reflect well on me. I buy things to make me comfortable. I engage in activities to bring me joy. And I pray, whose prayers do I usually pray? Mine. Whose prayers do I want God to answer mostly? I'll pray for you sometimes. I guess I need to. <laughs> I do, I promise. <laughs> But primarily, which prayers do I want God to answer? Mine. And so in a very real sense, I am the center of a circle that everything kind of revolves around. And I think that's a human reality. And, and again, not an accusation, just a reality. I think this is a part of all of our lives. All of us are pretty self-centered. And even the parts where I'm giving myself for others often has a self-centered hope. I kind of mentioned this. I love you so that I hope in hopes that you will love me too. I do good and give to you in hopes that I can feel good about myself. If you dig deep enough into the human heart, you usually find a reality that somewhere in there is a self-centered reality in who we are. And I'm not saying you're not good people and we're not good people, that we do good things. I'm just saying if you dig deep enough, unconditional love and goodness is almost impossible for human beings because we are at the forefront. Me, myself, and I are at the forefront of every thought, everything I see, everything I think, everything I hear. So in a sense, a very real sense, and again, this is not an accusation, it's just a reality. My world kind of revolves around me, which by the way is really interesting. If you think about conflict and relationship, if you think about who are the people that we struggle the most with in this world? <laughs> who are the people that we struggle to work for? We struggle to have on a team, we struggle to employ, we struggle to be married to, we struggle to be in a friendship with. Who are the people? Self-centered people, right? We struggle, nobody likes self-centered people and yet somehow, <laughs> in a sense, all of us carry self-centeredness with us wherever we go. There is the sense of self-centeredness. And again I, I, again, I hope this is not coming across as an accusation. This is a reality that I've discovered about me and I believe about all of us as humans. So if we as human beings are naturally self-centered, how on earth do we do what Paul suggested? How do we think not think of ourselves more highly than we ought? How do we do that? How do we honor others above ourselves? 
That's what I wanna look at today. Because if we can discover how to not live out this self-centeredness, it changes everything about us. It changes all our relationships. It changes our faith. It opens the door for God to, to do what God wants to do in us. It changes our marriages. Imagine a marriage where two people weren't self-centered in the way they did it. It changes parenting. It changes leadership. It changes everything. How do we live that out? That's what I wanna look at. And I believe Paul gives us what I think, and maybe, you know, I don't know, but what I think is the only answer. <laughs> because as humans, we are always drawn to this. And Paul gives us what I believe is the only real answer that can actually take us out of the center and, and make us less self-centered and not live that thing. And, because, and this answer, you'll see, <clears throat> is so important because we can't fix the self-centered problem inside of us. You can't fix a self-centered heart with a self-centered heart. It's like taking a broken tool and saying, I'm going to fix this broken tool with the broken tool. It doesn't work. And because there's this thing in us, we can't fix it in and of ourselves. So Paul gives us what I think is the only real solution. And the reason I think Paul knew about this is because, because Paul knew about the problem. Not only in other people, he saw it in himself. He struggled with it in himself. And what we're gonna see is, even though Paul was one of the greatest Christian influencers, writers in the history of the world, even though he was impacted by who Jesus was and his relationship with Jesus, he still struggled with this reality. So I wanna go back to chapter seven in the same letter, Romans chapter seven, and show you, this is where Paul acknowledges his struggle. And I believe, as you'll see, part of that struggle was this exact thing. How do I navigate my self-centeredness that causes hurt and pain and keeps me from being the best version of myself? Romans chapter seven, verse 15 says this. I love this verse, I love it, Paul talking. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, and but what I hate, I do. Ever felt that before? You're like, why? What is that? I wanna do good, I wanna do the stuff, and something in me makes it hard to do the things I wanna do, and easy to do the things I don't want to do. Verse 18, he continues, he says, for I know that good itself, and when I read that, I'm like, wow, there it is. That Paul, I think, is saying the ability in and of myself to do good for the sake of good is something that I struggle with. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, and then he introduces this big theological term, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Now, so often, and I've said this before, so often the word sin is used in a very judgmental way. I don't think it was meant to be that way. When he talks about sinful nature, that's just a word that describes that thing in us as humans that makes it easy to do the wrong thing and hard to do the right thing. That thing in us that makes us tend towards self-defensiveness. When someone comes and says, hey, there's this thing about you that I think I'm struggling with, the first thing we do is what? Yeah, tell me more about that. I'd love to know how I can be better. No, we don't do that, do we? <laughs> we go, what? Well, you are, what is, what is that? <laughs> There's something in us that isn't, doesn't work that well. There's something in us that makes temptation more tempting. Why? Why is temptation tempting? We know it's wrong. Why is it so tempting. Well, Paul calls it the sinful nature. And, and just I want to show you that this is not a judgmental thing at all. Do you know why? Because Paul said it about himself. This guy who wrote parts of the Bible, the apostle Paul, 
He said, this is true of me. He was saying us, he wasn't pointing any fingers. And my guess is no matter where you're in your faith, you probably have recognized that imperfection in your human nature. In the Bible, scripture, Christianity calls that the sinful nature. So he says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil, and that's a big strong word, but he's saying somehow there's, that good is tainted by something. Somehow there's something about me in that good. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And then he summarizes it so beautifully in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I love that he uses the word body there. And you'll see why in a minute, because he comes back to that. He uses the exact same word when he gives the answer to how we're gonna be rescued from this body. But that body, what he's saying is, it's my body that refers to everything inside of me, me, myself, and I. My body refers to, the, it's the thing that carries my thoughts, my wants, my temperament, my wishes. It carries me. It's the thing that carries my self-centeredness. It, it, it carries my human nature, or to use that theological term, sinful nature. It carries that, and he asks, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And if that self-centeredness is left unchecked, we've seen this in our lives, how it causes conflict, but left unchecked, that self-centeredness will lead to the death of relationships, the death of marriages, the death of parent and child relationships, the death of, of so many things. So he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he gives the answer, and it's a beautiful answer. It's so stunning. He says, verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says there is an answer. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. But when you read that, sometimes it's like, okay, Jesus, deliver me from this. What does that mean? How do I do that? As we're talking about it in the context of me, myself, and I, and, and this connection, you know, dif different giftings and different people and trying to relate well and not seeing others more highly, you know, honoring others higher than myself and not seeing myself more highly than I ought and the self-centeredness thing. How does that help me? How does he rescue me? And this is where I wanna jump back to Romans 12, right in the middle of the conversation about different giftings, right in the middle of the conversations of, hey, this is how I want you to do relationships. The self-centered thing, I want you to not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. I want you to honor others above yourself. Right in the context of that, he tells us how Jesus can actually rescue us from this body that carries the self-centeredness thing. And I think, I believe this is that linchpin. This is that doorway. This is that gate that if we are able to walk through this gate, it opens up our lives to the ability to not be defined by me, myself, and I. It gives us an actionable item, something to think about on a daily basis that literally could change things and actually I think is the only way that I can get my human self-centered broken heart out of the middle of my circle, out of the thing that everything revolves around and when I can do that, it changes everything and opens up relationships and allows me to be all that I was meant 
to be. So, so let me show you what I think is this linchpin, this door, this thing that speaks to that thing I read in the beginning on the Enneagram that, that transcends the ego. How do I transcend my ego? How do I do that? Romans chapter 12, verse one says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his love, his goodness, his kindness, his desire to do whatever it takes to help you, in view of God's mercy, here's what I want you to do. Offer your bodies, bodies is the same word he used earlier, who will rescue me from this body? I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What does he want us to do? <laughs> Told you it's crazy and hard. I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what on earth does that mean? Let me see if I can explain it. First thing I wanna point out, I've already mentioned it, is that he uses the same word, body, when he said, oh my gosh, the thing I wanna do, I don't do. I struggle to do the good I wanna do without it being tainted by the stuff in me, the self-centeredness in me. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? That if I live this way, it's gonna mess things up. I know that, I've seen it, I've felt it. Who will rescue me? Five chapters later, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer that body, your life, you, as a living sacrifice. That Jesus says, I have a way that I can break through and help you navigate this. But I need you to open it up. I need you to put yourself in front of me and say, yes, would you do that? I love you. I have only good in store in my heart toward you. I've proven it. I died for you. Would you let me do what I wanna do in you? Would you offer your body as a living sacrifice? Again, what on earth is a living sacrifice though? Like, what does that even mean? Well, for Paul, I think it was easier as an illustration because he lived in a world where many, most of the religions or the systems of worship, whether it was pagan, whether it was you know, the, the Greek or the Roman or the Jewish ways of worshiping, they actually had sacrifices that they offered on an altar to their God. So that was a picture, it was normal. We don't do that in our world today. So living sacrifice, what on earth does that mean? But in his day, it was a picture that someone would bring an animal, put it on an altar and offer it to God. And so if we understand that picture, it actually is a brilliant picture of how to deal with self-centeredness. Do you know why? <laughs> because it makes very clear who is the center of things. That picture of a sacrifice and God makes very clear who things revolve around. <laughs> it makes very clear who's God and who's not. Because you know what? The sacrifice on the altar that's dying being sacrificed is not God. God is God. The sacrifice on the altar is not the center of proceedings. <laughs> it's dying. It's not the middle of everything. Nothing revolves around the sacrifice. Everything revolves, and that sacrifice revolves around God. That sacrifice, <laughs> is there not for itself. If it was, it would be out somewhere eating green grass. <laughs> but it's on the altar being sacrificed, pointing to the reality that this is not about me. There's something bigger than me. 
There's something better than me. There is a God that this is about. You see, I don't know, I'll see if I can explain this. I hope I make it as clear as I can. When we are self-centered, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, when things revolve around me, we kind of see ourselves like many gods. That this is for me, this is for me, God, you're for me, my job, that's for me, my relationship with my wife, that's for me, my money, that's for me, my house, that's for me, my kids, gosh, behave, that's for me, my car, that's for me, my new car, that's for me, I don't like this one anymore, that's for me. When everything revolves around me, that's many God stuff. That's God language. And in some very real sense, as human beings, the self-centeredness in us puts us in a place of being a mini God. And we all have that in us. And Paul knew that. It was his story. He lived this. And the only way he was able to get out of that story, because he was human too, he understood the human heart, that our human hearts literally will always gravitate toward the center of my life and my doings and my desires and my hopes and my dreams and my faith and my relationships. My human heart, every single day when I wake up, guess where I am? right in the middle of everything revolving around me. Well, I didn't sleep well. You need to treat me better. I need to do this. My heart takes me there every single day. And so Paul says this. He says, the only way that we will ever be able to get out of the center of our lives, and yet, by the way, by the way, as humans, we don't make very good gods. We don't. I mean, it would be cool, we think. <laughs> it would be cool to have everyone revolve around us. We try to do that. And, and, and it's not just the dominant type personalities. It's not just the extroverts that do that. We all have our own ways of doing that. Passive aggressive, quiet. We all have our own ways of doing that. And Paul's saying the only way to overcome self-centeredness, the only way to not have our human heart get right in the middle, right in the center, sit in that seat of being a mini God is if we put something bigger, something better, something better at being God in that place. Because if there is something better at being God, and by the way, Christianity presents God that way. <laughs> that Jesus was the perfect, selfless, giving, serving, loving, merciful, kind, never self-centered. That's who he was. And him in the middle changes everything. And this picture of a living sacrifice says, hey, 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 I want you to present your body not as the God that everything's gonna be sacrificed to, that God himself is even going to serve because many of our prayers are about God, would you serve me? Would you be a living sacrifice for me? And he's going, no, 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 no. How do we honor others above ourselves? How do we navigate the self-centeredness in us? How do we do that? Would you offer your body as a living sacrifice, put it on the altar. It's such a clear picture. I'm not God, he is. And when we can have that picture, then I suddenly move out of the center of the circle and I put a loving, good, gracious, kind, wise, good at being God, God 
in the center of my world. And when I begin to revolve around him, then my house and my money and my life and my hopes and my dreams and my kids and my relationships and my marriage, and when it all revolves around him, everything's different. Because you know what? Then I don't see myself as better than my wife. We're all revolving around the best, most beautiful, most loving, most wise person in the world. I honor her above myself. I use my money in the best way. I use my influence in the best way because it's not about me pointing to me, it's about him. And he's in the center and Christianity presents him as this incredible, beautiful, loving, good God. <laughs> and when we do that, not only does it allow me not to be the center of my world, which again, I try every single day, never works, <laughs> but I try, my heart pulls me back to that every single day. And every day I go, Lord, you are. And perhaps this is language we can use. I offer my body as a living sacrifice. And it's living. It's not one time. Sometimes we think it's one time. I've prayed a prayer. I've made him my Lord and Savior. No, what happens tomorrow morning <laughs> when you wake up in the middle of the world, in the center of the world again? He says it's a living sacrifice daily. I live in that place as a sacrifice, not as the many God, not as the one that everything revolves around, but as a sacrifice. And I put myself on the outside of the circle, important, gifted, called, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be all that I need to be, but I'm on the outside revolving around something so much better, so much bigger, so much more beautiful, so much more loving, so much more perfect than me. And in that way, I can navigate my own gifting, my own ability, my own thoughts, my own temperaments, where they should be. Not as the center, but revolving around a big, beautiful, loving center. And I can honor others above myself. And I cannot see myself and think of myself more highly than I ought. It's a beautiful picture. It's hard, incredibly hard, because it goes against everything that we try to do as humans. And if you... If you don't see God as good and God and loving, this is hard to do. But I'm telling you, I think, I think this is the only way to break the self-centeredness by putting a better self, a better thing, a better person in the middle of my life. And so today, I just, I just wanna leave us with a question. And the question is this, who really is at the center of my life? Who is? How do I live? Do I live with me as the center? Because we know, we know we don't like self-centered people. And somehow we're all drawn to it. So who is at the center of my life? And if you're a Christian, we need to acknowledge that our own hearts still today, just like Paul's, draw us back to the center every single day, every single moment. And so living with this picture, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Maybe a daily thing. Living sacrifice, maybe a daily thing. And if you're not a Christian and you've never asked that, you thought, gosh, I'm supposed to be at the center, right? Isn't that how it works? But you also know that self-centeredness doesn't really work. This may be the only way to break that thing of self-centeredness in our hearts. We're gonna end with a song today and... Um, 
it talks about all this. It talks about the fact that Jesus is the center of everything. And, and, and if Christianity is true and he is God, then surely God is at the center of it all. And as much as we try and fight it's almost, you know, to, to be in that middle, as much as we, we never really will be if we're not God and he is. But he's a gentleman. And he will ask, hey, would you let me be the center of your world? Would you let me be the center of your world? So there's a line in the song that says, yes, Jesus is the center of it all. But then there's a line that says, Jesus, be the center of my life. And we wanna give us just a moment to think about this and perhaps to respond. And if you're there and if you're willing and if you, I don't know, see him for who he is and see me, like Christianity talks very clearly that I don't make a very good center and we know that, but he does. And if you're at the place where you can say that, would you use the words of the song to either reaffirm come back to, or maybe say for the first time, Jesus, would you be the center of my life? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you are the center of this world. And you are an incredible center. You love, you gave your life so selflessly And having a selfless God as the center of our world changes everything. Father, I pray that you would allow us to see that. You would allow us to see our own hearts that that we, we we, we can't manage to be a good center. We can't manage to be a good God, but that you are. Would you allow us to see that about ourselves? And then, Father, I pray that you'll help all of us remember that when you're center, to put you as the center. And it changes everything. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, you're the center. 
Jesus. 